Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, what a challenging text. What a thick text. This short section, the center of Paul's letter to the Colossians, is too rich, too loaded with terms and concepts. Where do you begin? Where do you focus your attention for the brief time that we have together? Mitchell Schusler, in a chapel sermon at the seminary, captured the richness of our text by introducing us to Wrigley, his 10-month-old lab. At 10 months, Wrigley was supercharged, full of energy, bounding, continually curious. Pastor Schusler recalls his early morning time for reading and reflection and prayer in preparation for this text. He's sitting on his back porch. He's got his cup of coffee in one hand, he's got his Bible, and he's reaching down, scratching Wrigley's head. He reads, As you have received, so walk in him, rooted and built up, abounding in thanksgiving. Yeah, he thought, that's, that's where I need to focus my attention. And suddenly, Wrigley's off the porch. He's got his nose stuck on the north fence of the wall, and then he's gone to the other end, and he's got his south side. He's got to go to the east side, the west side. He's got to make sure that nothing misses his attention. Wrigley, sit down. Come on back. So he gets back to the text. As you have received... So walk in him, rooted and built up, abounding in thanksgiving. Yeah, he thought, that's where I need to go. See to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you're filled with him. That's it. That's what those seminarians need to hear from me. And suddenly Wrigley barks. He's chasing the squirrel up the tree beside the house, and the squirrel's chattering back at him. Wrigley's never going to catch that squirrel, but he doesn't know that. Back to the text. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were rooted with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's it. Up, and now Wrigley's up on his feet, barking at the neighbor's car, backing out the driveway, which he does every morning at this time. And so it went. Verse after verse, and still no idea where to focus the text. I can empathize with Pastor Schluser. In fact, I did once before. This was the text for my very first sermon as a seminarian back in Homiletics 101. There is way too much for a second-year seminarian to deal with here. Too many important theological concepts, too many trajectories, too many options. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I've lost that sermon. But I do remember I, one illustration I used about Paul in verse 8 talks about empty deceit. I talked about, I gave a boat building story about harvesting tamarack knees from a swamp. But what really sticks in my mind is sitting in Dr. Nielsen's office as he's reading my manuscript. He's got his pencil in hand and he's working his way through. Well, the, the tamarack survived, but with one additional sentence and a couple of colorful clauses, my seminary sermon blossomed into something that was preachable. Colossians chapter 2 got a focus. So where, where is the center of this text? What matters for us here today at Redeemer? Well, God in his wisdom gave you a, a grammar geek and a, and a lexicon lunatic for an under-shepherd. For 12 years now, we've poked and prodded at text together, looking for a better understanding, a deeper understanding of God's word by, by paying attention to the details. And there are plenty of details in Paul's letter to Colossae. Words that only appear here, nowhere else in the Bible. Vocabulary not found in Paul's other letters. 
and a shift in his style of writing that bespeaks the heresy that Paul is addressing. Three of those unique pieces of vocabulary in verses 12 and 13 grab our attention. There are three compound verbs created by prefixing the preposition with to a more common verb. They are uniquely Pauline. The first one appears here and then in the letter to the Romans. The second and third ones appear here and then in only once in the companion letter to Ephesus. But a more compelling question might be with what or with whom? The answer we read about in the opening verse. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the original, both Christ and Lord have the definite article. It's the Christ and the Lord. Some have suggested that this is some kind of type of double confession, that the faith of the Colossians is faith in Jesus of Nazareth as both the promised Messiah and as the one who revealed himself in the Old Testament as Yahweh. Dietering reflects that in his, when he translates, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, be walking with him. Well, how do you do that? First, we were buried with him in baptism. Sunthapto, the first of our compound verbs. We were only buried the dead, right? Well, except in horror films, and that's not our concern this morning. And Paul explains that we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. The plural trespasses calls to mind the actual sins, the legion of offenses we commit against God, against our neighbor, even against our own flesh when we misuse the amazing gift that is our physical bodies. It is, after all, this body, right, that will be resurrected at the last day, only perfect, like the glorious body of our risen Savior. Even now, Paul calls it a temple of the Holy Spirit in his first letter to Corinth. The singular uncircumcision of our flesh points to our sinful nature, the old Adam, the old Eve in all of us. Luther speaks this way in his large catechism when he asks, what is the old creature? It is what is born in us from Adam, irascible, spiteful, envious, unchaste, greedy, lazy, proud, yes, and unbelieving. It is beset with all vice and by nature has nothing good in it. Close quote. What well, Talk about not missing words. But baptism, baptism into Christ's death changes all that, as Luther points out a few paragraphs later, as we were once obtained forgiveness of sins in baptism, so forgiveness remains day by day, as long as we live. That is, as long as we carry the old creature around our necks. Close quote. It's God's work. But how is it accomplished? There is a, a captivating metaphor that Paul uses to describe how it happens in, in verse 14 when he speaks about canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. More literally, it is a handwritten document, a bond of indebtedness, handwritten by me, the sins that I commit daily, handwritten by you. The price of our sins are like a bill to which we affix our name which testify against us. This bill, this handwritten document, Christ nails to the cross. I imagine this thing being plopped down on the cross and Jesus' hand put on top of it and a nail driven through his hand, through the paper, into the cross. His blood soaks the page, blurring 
and then obliterating the words, the deeds, the sins that I had written there. Later, Jesus' body is taken down from the cross, but the blood-soaked document clings to the cross, held there by his congealed blood. This is my baptized with, my baptism into his death, buried with, in some sense. I lay buried with him in order that I, that you might be raised with Christ. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. I never tire of that Easter acclamation. It is the voice of the gospel. You are redeemed. Soon a gyro, raised with him, our second compound verb. That handwritten bill is actually, physically, eternally paid. And the triumph of that victory is portrayed for us in verse 15. Our translations kind of tame things down a little bit for our modern sensibilities. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's perfectly okay. But the first meaning of that word disarmed is to disrobe, is to strip bare. As Paul Dietering writes, the picture here is modeled after that of the Roman custom of triumphal procession, in which the defeated armies were publicly paraded, disarmed, stripped naked, and humiliated with slavery or execution their immediate future. And who is our enemy? This enemy stripped bare and paraded for all to see? It's sin and death and Satan. This image of a triumphal display calls to mind our Lord's descent into hell that Peter writes about in his first letter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to spirits in prison. It is helpful to recall that the first step of Christ's exaltation is his descent into the abyss to proclaim his victory, a victory in which we participate with him, being raised with him, being made alive together with him, our third compound verb. So what does that look like, being made alive with him? Well, I'm sure you've all experienced it. The aging Toyota at the stop sign, right, stoplight. Your windows are rolled up, so are his. You can't hear the music, but you can see the music. He is jiving and drooving and gyrating, barely within the constraints of the front seat. The lyrics of an Aaron Tippin song come to mind. I've got 16 speakers crossing my back dash and a little Bob and doll watching everybody pass. <laughs> right? We all march to the beat of the drummer in our head, the drummer in our heart. And it's easy enough to sketch the negative side of that. The drummer we once listened to, the drummer who coached and controlled us through that handwritten document. But that's, that's nailed to the cross. That's there, that's gone. The positive side is to listen to the beat, to the beat of the drummer that is Christ. In our gospel reading, he teaches us to pray, and in prayer to listen to the beat of God. The beat that answers the door at three in the morning for a neighbor in need. The beat that withholds the serpent and the scorpion and giving good things instead to the beat of a heavenly drummer. We follow his drums in all of our life in family, in finances, 
in work, in politics, in entertainment, that the Christ and his church should so capture and conform and direct us into God's narrative that nothing is the same anymore. Nothing. All of life is redefined, reshaped, reoriented in, frankly, disorienting in dramatic ways. The opportunity is all around us, with him, that is, with Christ. Outside of him, we were without hope. Therefore, God sent his son. We were buried with him in baptism so that we might be raised with him. You are alive with him. Christ saved us by carrying us along with him. Let us then live with him. Amen. Now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.